Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When it comes to degrading women, as long as I'm in the boys' club, it's okay. I've be I've become a man. I'm more of a guy, and like he celebrated me for being more of a guy. Hello, and welcome to the Miseducate Podcast. My name is Sarah Gathugu, host and owner of the Miseducate Blog and Now Podcast. This podcast is here to expand upon prior and future blog posts and is centered around having open and honest conversations about the aspects of life we have been misinformed on. Whether that be relationships, religion, culture, you name it, I'm here to talk about it. Each episode, I will be talking about a different topic and inviting guests to talk about their own experiences of miseducation and what they are doing to re-educate themselves. This podcast aims to make you laugh, think, and inspire conversations for change. None of us have it right. We have all been miseducated. This episode is an example of my one-on-one -on -one interview series within the podcast called Miseducation in Conversation, in which I ask my guests to talk about an area of their life which they feel they have been miseducated on and what they are doing to re-educate themselves. For this episode, I invited and interviewed Tatenda, a former guest from the Prince Charming interview and a really good friend of mine. He wanted to talk about his miseducation of manhood and masculinity. In the interview, we dive deeper into toxic masculinity, manhood for specifically for black men and black boy joy. So without further ado, let's get into it. Firstly, everyone, this is Tatenda, a storyteller from Beat Freaks. He's my friend from church, an infectious personality, a writer, a YouTuber, an encourager, and yeah, just an overall round person who is just amazing. And you would have heard him from the previous episode, which was about the Prince Charming effect with the other guys. And now he's back again. Yes. But before we go into that interview, I thought Ooh. we could have like a little small talk of like, how did we become friends? Because we oh. met at church, but like, how did we actually become friends? Oh, Sarah, how did you get stuck with me as a friend? Um, I, don't, I don't remember. I just, <laughs> I just feel like we just happened to be in the same circles. We just happened to crack the same banter. And we were like, your peoples, your cool peoples. I think, I don't think there was a pivotal moment. I was like, Sarah's my friend. It's just like, wow, we just vibed and that was it. I think like that was it. Like it's just, we became friends. Like, I don't know. Like I can't think of any pivotal moments. We just have like, I remember we had like random sporadic conversations about stuff that was so deep. 
Yeah, I think, like, as you said, I think we just kind of like gravitated towards each other because we were in so many similar circles and you were friends with all the people that I was kind of like friends with or I was associated with. So it was kind of like about time that we were going to become friends. Word, word. I've always wanted to ask you this. Yeah. I don't know whether people did this to you or whether this is just the thing that they always just do to women when it comes to male female platonic friendships but a lot of the time I was quite hesitant to be around you because people were like oh Sarah you should talk to Tatenda but it wasn't in a way (laughs) of because obviously you came when I was just about to go to university and I was telling people oh I'm doing literature with creative writing and it's like oh Tatenda does journalism you should talk to him like oh have you met him you know he's really nice guy and he really (laughs) loves God and that's the setup that's the setup they were trying to get me a wife and I appreciate it (laughs) (laughs) I was like okay this guy might be a cool guy but now I'm so thrown off by Uh, everything that everyone is saying that I just I just can't I just can't do it but then one day we just kind of like I don't know how I don't know where we just became friends yeah. i'm so glad that we did though no i am too i think it's just like you may have been avoiding me but i see you know what i think if you were avoiding me i didn't notice it because i was just in just just in just first year of uni vibes just enjoying my best life and it was coming to a time where like i came and stepped up a lot more in my faith in terms of serving and so because we both served and i i, I believe we had the similar heart to serve and i think that was our common um denominator what brought us together mainly in terms of like the circles of friends because they all did similar things but no no one ever said well what about Sarah maybe one but I didn't it wasn't one that was prominent okay so the premise of this kind of one-on-one interview is as I've told you before it's called like miseducation in conversation and it's a one-on-one interview where I ask the other person like what they feel that they have been miseducated on And so I have asked you today to come on so I can ask you, what have you been miseducated on? Oh my gosh, my entire existence. What the heck? It's everything. (laughs) I feel like it's everything. I'm I'm playing, I'm playing. Um, I think one of the things, the main things, and I think I'm still discovering it and still learning it, I think um, um, is predominantly about masculinity and um I think that's the one thing I'm really passionate about and something I'm passionate about um learning about about um the becomings of masculinity especially in contrast with the me too movement and how um women were screaming me too about a lot of different things and so with my discovery and my learning and my wanting to know and understand the struggles of women which I could never fully understand because I don't have I don't have that lived experience I can at least listen and learn from them and it's something I've I think like it's something I've always done I think it's because I was raised in a house full of women um so my first few like in like my first formative few formative years from the time I was like from out the womb to like around six ish uh my predominant carers were all women so that was my great-grandmother my grandma and my aunties some of them moved out but then there was like a full house of women and then I had my cousin who was like maybe a few months younger than me but again a girl so I had literally just women all around and so my perception of women and my first interaction with women and female relationships was always one that was um 
not sexual and it was always platonic. Um, and I thought, and I, I, I guess in your formative years, you realize like, and I feel like your formative years inform a lot of your adulthood and the way you see women and your, uh, your manhood in particular. And because I had that, um, my, I guess my, my, my view on women wasn't a distorted one or wasn't one of a sexual nature per se. Um, and so I think listening to women has always become, has always been something that's natural to me, I guess, against the other men. Um, and because those were my role models or people I saw how to behave, how to act, um, because the environment, the culture I grew up in being raised in Zimbabwe, in the Southern African nation that is predominantly conservative and, um, things that aren't conservatives are typically looked down upon. Um, and the, like the attributes of a woman are so much more of, I guess, um, being meek, being, um, being gentle, being kind, being timid, not being outspoken or not speaking out of turn. And as a lot of women get told to do, to not speak out of turn. And so I started carrying those female sensibilities because those are things I, I got taught. And so fast forward to like me growing up, like um, I had this like tension because I've not, like I, I immigrated and that's the first time my masculinity was challenged when I immigrated from, the, from Zimbabwe. In the, I guess what you'd call a bubble um, to the UK where I was surrounded with a lot more um, uh, male role models and guys around me, you know what I mean? And I think like um, that was, I guess, the first time I spent like the, the full extent of my time with my dad. And so that was a, a different learning in itself. And I think um, a lot of that like miseducation of my manhood has been from what I was later on told in life, not in my formative years, but in the years to come and how everything I'd learned in those first few years went against everything that masculinity is. But yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. So just before we go into what you learned in kind of like your later life, just want to bring it back to your formative years. And as you said, you were brought up and you've said to me before you were brought up with, you know, your grandmothers and all these women around you being around those women in your early life in your formative years what did those women teach you about your masculinity you know what's interesting um and I'm thinking about like my broader family at large it's very matriarchal it's very matriarchal and there are not a lot of male figures in my family on my mom's side which is where I grew up on particularly um they are not, I can maybe count two, three of them. Um, most of them, most of the male figures, the husbands of the wives of the people that raised me, well, they weren't there. Just, I say husbands loosely, but like they were not there either. Some of the, like, if I'm honest with you, I don't, to this day, I don't, it's not, maybe, maybe it's because I didn't ask I will, and I wasn't inquisitive because it was something that was never challenged. I don't know. I didn't know a lot of the time where those masculine or those um, those men were in our families. And so the I I didn't get taught about manhood, if that makes sense. I don't think like it's one of those. I don't think there was an explicit moment where I was like, well, like I don't there was never a moment where my grandmother or any other female member was like, you need to. This is what boys do. It was never that, you know, all the chores that I had to do alongside with my cousin. Uh, who was a girl were domestic 
So I knew about being domesticated. I knew about um, um, how to run a household, the, like what you should take pride in, in a lot of sense is quite traditional, but taking pride in your home, what you look like, how you dress. I learned how to dress myself because um, well, if if I to say so myself, I, I guess sometimes it's a bit of a question mark, you know. But I'm like those like female sensibilities where I guess to be fair, now men like to dress well and all this kind of stuff. But it's so much, it's it's a pressure that's put on women so much, and so I would know how to not only dress myself as a young man or a little boy, but also what it looks like for a woman to be dressed in a certain kind of way. Her modesty. So my my education of manhood or boyhood was never informed by anything masculine in per se or masculine traits that I would say oh yeah no that was to try to teach me to be like I'm different from the girls and I'm different from you know I mean there was there was no there was no differentiation it was just you are part of this family this is how we do it and that's that kind of thing. How then from growing up in a household where you have a matriarch which is a woman um, leading the house and how then did that change when you moved here and all of a sudden it was now having a patriarch instead? I did not adjust to it well. <laughs> That's the long story short. I did not adjust to it well. <laughs> and you know what, right? Now that I'm saying it, like we've had conversations about this before, but I feel like I'm relearning things about myself in this moment. And it's actually like, it's actually mad to have this mad revelation. Like now you're asking me this question. I did not handle having a patriarchal home well. I that, that it's just so unfathomable how how badly I handled it. Um, on the sheer state of because I come from this country that's pretty conservative and the roles are pretty traditional. And so the traditional sense is the man is the head of the household, and culturally that's the thing that goes. And also through my faith it's there is a lot of like tensions between um uh who is the head of the house there's a lot of scriptures about um women being submissive to the man all this kind of stuff and there's a lot of like in my heart like my feminist heart I'm like you what mate like what do you mean like submissive how explain yourself like articulate what you mean to say about this verse sir. um and so I think in general I think I had a lot of problems I think naturally with my dad because um I wasn't used to having a, a, a patriarchal head of the house, if that makes sense. And so that, like, I think now I'm deeping it, like it's probably a source and a root for a lot of like the contentious arguments I would have with my dad because I was just so against, I guess this sounds, maybe it's really, I really need to like sit down and deep it. Like maybe I was just against having um, a man telling me what to do. Maybe not in the, I guess a man telling me what to do and then seeing how things will run with women. And I'm like, there's a, there's a huge difference when the man is in the house and when a man isn't in the house. There's a huge difference. The way they ask you for things is different. If we're going back to traditionally, things are expected when the man is in the house, oh, you should already be doing this. But when a woman is in the house, I guess because women are inherently or traditionally in the sense, I'm gonna say traditionally are more nurturing, a bit more softer with their words. And I didn't receive that in the same thing, in the same, breath when I moved to the UK and so I struggled massively and so I think inherently I began to reject the masculine because I was like if that's what it means to be a man I don't want to be hardened I don't want to be yeah I would say like harsh with my words or very like forceful or very like like I guess 
uncompromising. And I think that's, I guess, what you could say with a lot of traditional conservative um, roles where the mother and the father in the house, and especially in a really like traditional sense, it's the husband say, it's the head of the house's say, and the woman follows. And so I'd been used to having women who follow and lead. Um, so it was really hard to get under the umbrella of a alpha patriarch. And now I'm deep in it. I'm like, wow, that's something I didn't know until now. So <laughs> that's good <laughs> learning. So transitioning and moving from Zimbabwe to then moving here um, in Britain and also then having your father there present, what did he then teach you about masculinity? What did he teach you that kind of made you want to reject masculinity? Mm. You know what? I don't think at the core, I don't think what my grandmother and my aunts taught me and what my dad was trying to teach me along with my mom was trying to teach me was inherently different. At the end of the day, they come from the same kind of background is raise your child to be able to one day, God forbid, if you are to go, or when they when it's time, you, you they're able to stand on their own. They're able to run a household. They're able to, um, they've been educated enough like to be able to find a good job and move on with their life and support be like them for them not to rely on your support but then to eventually for you to for you to be supported by them and that's the goal you know what i mean raise your child so you don't he doesn't have to be a bum <laughs> and that's the goal and so like inherently like the lessons were not different i think it's the delivery and then i realized the delivery wasn't there was nothing else that inherently was different because everything that i had i was being told maybe a, maybe a, a stronger level or a higher level um I'd been told when I was back in Zimbabwe, but I think, um, I guess maybe it's because I was a little bit of the baby at the time and I was like the first grandson on both sides. So I was like the the golden child that everyone had been waiting for that moment. And so I guess maybe I, I may have been, I guess, spoiled or coddled. And I guess that's what my dad was trying to bring me out of. And then maybe I didn't enjoy that process because, um, because I don't think there was ever a clear conversation. And I think that's this the um, pivotal point. There was never a clear conversation that what he was doing, um, there was a method to his madness. Does that make sense? There was never a clear conversation. And because the delivery was very, very contrast, contrary to what I truly believed um, <laughs> as a human being and was raised to see, it really rubbed me up the wrong way. It was definitely all about delivery, I think, for me. But yeah, it's the delivery for me. <laughs> It's definitely the delivery. Oh, it is. So I also want to kind of get into the fact that you were a child immigrant. So you moved from Zimbabwe to now here in Britain. So Mm. how then does culture, both your Zimbabwe heritage and now being in Britain, how did that affect your notions of masculinity? Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, at the core, I don't think there's much difference between the cultural masculinity of a man, both in the, in Zimbabwe and the UK. Because if we're gonna get real, uh, we were colonized by the Brits. So <laughs> if we're gonna get if we're gonna get personal and technical about immigration, um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the colonization for me. And so uh, with that being said, um, I don't think. Um, our traditional values as Zimbabweans was far off from, I guess, British sensibilities of traditionalism and conservatism. Um, and so 
I think the hardest thing I've probably found in British culture compared to like African culture, in particular Zimbabwean culture, um, when it comes to my manhood was um, at school. And I think that's where I felt the pressure because um, although I was being ta taught the same lessons, just delivery was different. Like my personality, I wasn't, my parents never employed me to change my personality to become more, you need to become a man. They were just like, when you grow up to be a man, because that's what they're trying to do. It wasn't like be a man, it was we're growing you to become one. And I appreciated that. Um, but I think my my struggles was more in the educational system um, and what, in fact, my peers, not necessarily my teachers, but what my peers expected. I was challenged a lot about my mas masculinity, both internally, what I saw, and externally by other students, um, in particular in primary, in the first early years. And also like in, I guess, in church environments, I was challenged a lot. Um, why do you like certain things or why do you talk like that or why do you walk like that or why do you act like that um, and so it, it kind of triggered this internal dialogue I never never ever in my life before that did I ever question my um, my actions or why I act a certain way or why I do certain things or why I talk a certain way or why I sit in a different way to people um, and it began I guess a lifetime's worth of struggle of internal like I overthink everything and overanalyze everything I do um, on the on the basis of is this man enough that's so interesting it's interesting that you say that in terms of your family it was kind of like they had the same message it was just a different delivery and that was the area of the clash but then when other people were involved that's where it was kind of like now I'm questioning my own identity so you've already given examples of questions of like why do you walk like this why do you talk like this and you said that it kind of affected, I would say, you mentally because now you're like overthinking things. Can you give us like an example of what kind of talk us through an example of like what they would say and how it would affect you mentally and then how it would kind of manifest? Is that the word? How it would kind of like play out into how you acted. That's mm -hmm. the way of saying it. You know, it's interesting, like when you're talking about that, I like the first thing I thought of is this was when I was slightly older. I think I was around in year 10. And it's interesting because, because I had like this info, like I had this way of being and behaving that didn't necessarily conform to, um, to the traditional sense of what a guy in year 10 or what 15, 14 years old would be. Um, and so subsequently I had a lot of female friends because that's who I related to and felt, I guess, inherently safer with. Um, and so I remember a friend of mine, um, she was like, she. I think she was talking to this guy. They were like trying to like, you know how it is in secondary school. Everyone's like, yeah, trying to find, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she liked me. She liked me. All this kind of stuff. So it was this guy that she was talking to, um, and I guess I had just come up in the conversation, and um, he asked. He was like, um, I think he, he first asked like, was there anything between us, me and my friend? I guess because we were just so close. And I said, and then she. I wasn't part of this conversation, but she then informed him, no, there's nothing like that. Da, 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 that's fine. Um, and then he then proceeded to ask her because then she um, repeated it to me. She told me, um, okay, so I'm going to explain what she, what happened and then I'm going to explain why, what I perceived it to be, I think. I think, so she came to me and she said, oh, like person X said, oh, like why does Tatenda walk like, he doesn't walk like a boy, he walks like a girl. And, and then she then said proceeded to tell me that no I backed you up and I said 
no, it's just the way it walks, leave him alone, da 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 da, period. And I was like, and so for me, she informed me of this. And I think I could go, I could have gone on my whole life without knowing that fact. <laughs> but it became a real like thing. I was like, think in my head, I was like, oh, like I just said, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, thanks, whatever. Um, but then it triggered something in me. So like instantly I was like, I don't walk the same. I need to walk the same. What what is this? Like it was like it's now like I need to walk like a man. I was like, what does that even mean? And so I remember like walking to school and I was like, and I looked at the person in front of me and there was this random, random guy in front of me that was going to my school, right? Random. And I was like, okay, his legs and his foot move at a certain, literally I calculated to the angle and the degree and I started walking like that. So I was like, okay, no, their feet, um, like I guess I had my feet like point, my toes pointed in, I guess. And so I, I was like, okay, no, he walks with his, like his toes pointed outwards so now that's how I'm gonna walk and so literally I started to imitate this person in front of me and started to walk the same and it was the most uncomfortable feeling like I, it felt so weird I was like my thighs are kind of like weirdly hurting this is not something I've never done I was like what is this and literally for the longest time I I started embodying the masculine walk and I was like how do you walk like I'm like I'm a guy so I'm a man so the way I walk is masculine, should it not be? But I had this, like, it, it flipped me off guard. And I was like, like, people think I don't even walk like a man. What the heck? Or a guy. So I need to start walking like a guy. And that's what I started doing. It hurt me for ages. But, like, I think I mastered the walk. <laughs> I think I mastered the walk. I love the way that you were saying how you, you like, had to, like, measure it out. And you're like, okay, so his, his feet are like this. I don't know why, but in my head... I got this kind of like image of like GCSE maths with your protractor and it's like a question you like they're like measure if John walks this way how should yeah. the tender then walk yeah. if, if he is to be considered masculine quote yeah. unquote masculine four marks go show your workings <laughs> show your workings <laughs> you get Pythagoras hypotenuse working at the same time like simultaneous <laughs> equations <laughs> have the meme of you know that lady where she's like she's kind of like squinting and then all the maths is like yes. on the on the screen and it's yes. just like da -da 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 -da. yes literally <laughs> to a t and that's literally i think one of the most like i guess that's what you call toxic masculinity like honestly like to the very like core of it like i had to literally like it hurt my thighs like if something hurts you naturally like that, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Like, <laughs> so I was like, yeah. So I embodied that for a long time. Um, but yeah. <laughs> for those who don't know, because now you've just brought up like the keyword, mm. toxic masculinity. For those who don't know, what does toxic masculinity mean? Oh, I guess, although there's like a set definition, I feel like it's different in according to who you're speaking to. Um, toxic, the way I understand toxic masculinity is imposing um, traditional masculine values and traditions um, on men and expecting and, and putting a certain expectation on men or young boys in particular, young boys or young men or older men um, that they must adhere to, even though it may not necessarily be part of who they are inherently. Um, and essentially that um, forced masculinity leads a lot of people doing a lot of things that are 
sometimes not healthy um, mentally, but emotionally, but also the biggest impact is when it impacts others and the way they treat women. Some of the traditional masculine roles that society has told us to adhere to is men are harder, tougher, stronger, and they're more dominant. And so sometimes men, mis misguided as it may be, enforce their dominance on women. And that's when it becomes dangerous and becomes very, very toxic. Um, it's one thing, um, something impacting you, the way you behave impacting you, but when it now impacts someone physically, and that's why a lot of people um, feel, in, a lot of men uh, feel entitled and uh, to a woman's body and the possession of a woman. And that's why I spoke about um, uh, like the Me Too movement at the beginning, because it informs a lot of my growing and a lot of my miseducation. Um, and I think like toxic masculinity, um, I actually did a dissertation, a documentary dissertation on it. Um, and I learned so much. And one of the things I learned about it is um, it happens in little ways and it happens in small doses. And it happens when we're young, we're told as boys, we shouldn't cry. And I remember even telling my brother when he was younger, me not knowing, um, I was like, no, big boys don't cry. Don't do that. Da, da, da. But obviously I was just trying to like, like appease the child, stop the child from crying. But I was inherently telling him subconsciously saying that as a boy, as a young man, you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to show emotion. And it's the fact that um, maybe some men are inherently just not emotional, but if it is to the fact that they are not going to be emotional because they are a man, then there is a problem, you know? And I think it's when you hold yourself to a standard because you're a man, you can't do things that are naturally emotionally inherently like biologically supposed to happen you know what I mean um that's when it's a problem in describing toxic masculinity and the notions of toxic masculinity can you give us an example of like another more personal example where you have found yourself like oh definitely this this area I was very toxic in mm, mm. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I feel like, I think I was, again, year 10 was a very interesting year <laughs> uh, in my life, I guess. There's a lot of development, a lot of questions going. Um, I think one that I remember is, I remember I was in an art lesson and I, we were talking about, I think we were talking about holidays and it was a group of our friends, um, which just, I guess, people on the table and you become friends with the people on your table. They're like your family for that like period, right? Um, and so we were talking and someone's mentioned about a guy, this young man or young boy um, mentioned how he was on holiday and he was, or he was going on holiday or he, no, he had been on a holiday and he was mentioning about how he was showering. Um, in particular, he was like, oh yeah, I was showering and there was this girl next to me. Um, and I remember he, and he was like, oh yeah, and there was this girl next to me. And then I, off the cuff, I don't even know where it came from, but I was like, yeah, no, I wouldn't mind that. And I just said that, right? Off the cuff, just minding my own business. I was like, we were having this conversation. I was like, oh yeah, no, I wouldn't mind that. And then he ensued to then like, he was like, oh, Jacinda. And he like started celebrating me because I was essentially like sexualizing and objectifying a woman, you know what I mean? And it's something I didn't do openly. Like I was attracted to, I'm attracted to women, but I don't like, outwardly like like unless you really know me like that, I'm like oh no she's really really like she's good looking like da, 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 you know what I mean but like that's not my personality at large if that makes sense I mean I would like celebrate a woman's uh, body and her beauty if I see like if I feel like oh wow she's beautiful but I'm never gonna be derogatory and like it came out of a derogatory nature though like I guess like inherently I was talking about her being half naked 
And so now I was being celebrated for being objective, like objectifying this woman, hypothetically speaking, but still, you know what I mean? And so I was then celebrated by this guy who happened to be actually quite popular. Um, and he was, oh, I didn't know you like you you were about that. Da, 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 da. And I was just like, and like I went home with like a chip on my shoulder, like, yeah, no, I can I, I can do that too. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the man. Like, and then so I had like this false sense of security, like, okay, like I may not be I may walk like you talk like you, I may not be able to do all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to like sounds weird, like to regret like. When it to the fundamentals and the basics, when it comes to degrading women, as long as I'm in the boys' club, it's okay. I've I've become a man. I'm more of a guy, and like he celebrated me for being more of a guy. He said, "Oh, you're like you're like one of the guys." Da, 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 da. And I was like, "What?" And like thinking about it, like I was celebrated. Like what? It just yeah. Um, though there were moments that's something I did not then take further or to a point where I was outwardly disrespecting women because again I had this inherent like before I see this woman as anything, she is a woman, she is a mother, she is a potential mother, a sister, or someone, she is someone human. I like that you said she's someone human at the end because mm. I I would like people to, this is my personal opinion, and I remember hearing it on a podcast, um, the Say Your Mind podcast um, by Kelechi. And I remember she said this thing and it stuck with me and I was like, oh yes oh yes we're gonna be preaching this now (laughs) and she basically said that like men need to stop using this excuse of she's she could be someone like imagine if she was your mom or she was Mm. your sister or she was your daughter because it's kind of like you're only providing her humanity through a very possessive means your mother your sister your your daughter it's all about you and being a possessive and it's not yeah. seeing her for as a human so I appreciate that you said she's a human being why would I yeah, need to period. objectify her like that anyway sorry no, no, you know, you make, a good point. <laughs> make a good point because again that goes back to the toxic masculinity um with men having to um being entitlement seen as- yeah what you've said kind of leads well into my next question which is kind of like when did you realize that your notion of masculinity was toxic I think I you know what right I think I really there was a coming of age for me I and I can only attribute it to um a god but also introspective thinking and I it was a, a time in my life when I was doing my a levels um, and so we were out of this uniform. I think it kind of it came full circle. So I was going into A levels. Um, so year twelve and year thirteen. Um, and so we moved out of this place where it was everyone who came to the school to only a select few that got chosen by the school to stay. Other people had to leave. And so I was going through that transition and that beautiful change of like, wow, like I'm actually coming to my own. I'm finally being an adult. You get treated as an adult at that point. You know what I mean? Um, in school in the UK, and my relationship with God had taken root from not only just like a master and servant or master and um subservant yes master and servant relationship to a father and son relationship and so that began the snowball of the change um and god started like undoing things in me um and forgiving a lot of things including the way like i felt um hard done by by my dad do you know what I mean and I think that informed a lot of my decisions um at that point and the way I saw life and saw the world and by then the people that really were I guess the popular people and the people that I guess um 
I would always feel like I have to like impress or make it known to them that I'm still a man. Um, they left. And so I had, I started coming to this awakening where it's like, like this masculinity, this pressure to be a man has made you so unhappy. Can you just be yourself? And I think it maybe it had, it, it had like, how can something in your head control you so much that you now control the way you walk and you, the way you talk, the way, the way you stand, the way, and I was just, I came to a point, I'm not going to apologize for what God made. And I think that's what helped. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to warp and <laughs> offend a creation of God. And if I'm choosing to say, I love God and I see him as a father and he's telling me he loves me, how then can I go through what he loves so dearly in the bin and be like, it's not good enough on whose standards on the little boys that have now gone to college and they're not even in the same realm as you boy fix up. And so I realized that's when it became toxic. When I was like, I was so inherently unhappy. It was, it was, it was a turning, it was a turn of events. It was a very, very surreal moment. It was a very hard and painful moment, but it was when I was in a, in a very low bout of depression and I think like a lot of, I think in particular for black men, we have to carry this. There's a lot of times we get pigeonholed in this black scary guy act. And if you don't fit that, then what are you? And so I was just like, there were so many things I was just beating myself up about. And for once, I think I just let go of the belt I was using. And I just said, you know what? Let me just go to school. Let me just go to school and get this education thing on lock. But yeah, that was it for me. You previously mentioned that, obviously, the British were out here colonizing. Yup. Let, let's just not remember. Let's just remember not that forget. because a lot, a lot of y'all want to forget. Um, so, as you said, the British did colonize a lot of countries in Africa, including Zimbabwe, where you're from. Mm. And that also, you said, when I asked about um, how your Zimbabwe heritage and your British um, and just being here has like affected your masculinity. You said that there wasn't much of a difference. And I think that's very interesting that you pointed that out because obviously when the British went over to those countries, Mm. they informed on everything and also Mm. on the constructs of gender. Mm. And so the constructs of gender, which I believe that we've been talking about are very Eurocentric, like traits associated with, toxic masculinity yeah. also heavily associated with the black male stereotype but mm. in the negative so yeah. you know maintaining a, an appearance of hardness violence as an indicator of power but mm. it seems that violence and aggression is is a factor of toxic masculinity but it's a very huge damaging and dangerous stereotype for black men yeah. since slavery because white supremacy has characterized has categorized black men as you know the brute black male and as you were saying like um as you said previously like it's different being a black man in britain and so how does race and especially in the context of britain and we know the racism here in britain how does that then inform like black masculinity because it's different from white masculinity 100 percent, yeah yeah and i think it's like it's interesting that you said that because i'm like well um with all the struggle of like oh you're not man enough at the end of the day gun to your head the police are going to look at you as a black culprit in this white britain state in this at the end of the day 
I may not look big, black, and scary, but I'm gonna I black, period, black man, period. That's it. That's all you don't have to be, be big, black, and scary to be to be a robber or a thief or anything else that they may paint black men to be in general. And so I still have the same uh like I still have to go through the same thing, like just because I may not exude this hyper masculine or huge bravado or like I still have to navigate my way through co-op shop as an like as a unintimidating um very much um passive and very like non-threatening force or presence all the time the amount of times i smile at these old ladies as i'm walking down the street because i'm like i i'm fine and at the very least even if you don't think i'm threatening you at the very least black people are nice we should be you should be nice to them um and so that's one thing. And I think what's interesting, like um, on that topic, I remember like one time I was in school and uh, my friend and I, she was a white woman at that. And you know what, right now I'm even thinking about like, oh, I'm triggered. Um, she was, <laughs> she was a white woman. She's a white girl. Um, <laughs> she was my good, she still is a good friend of mine. But I remember like we were talking, we were like, just like play fighting or whatever we were doing. We were just like, but I remember just dragging her and she was like, and we were like, and she goes, no, stop. Da, 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 da. And then she, and then, a teacher came along a particular and in particular he was a black teacher right but interesting i feel like what was different about this black teacher it was he was a younger black teacher he wasn't fully a teacher yet he was a teacher in training so he was a teacher assistant so you know of him and so i remember it like she was like oh stop da, 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 da. and then and then he came and was like you need to stop and then i was like oh no we're just playing and then he was like he was like you need to stop and then i was like oh no we're just playing and then he goes Brethren, <laughs> he he gave he said brethren. <laughs> he didn't even say yeah. hey. He didn't say hey boy. He said brethren. <laughs> brethren, listen. He pulled me to the side and he goes, listen, yeah. And he gave me the four one one. And it's only now, like I deeped it. I was like, okay, I resonated. But now I'm like seeing saying it out loud again. It has so much weight, especially what we're going through right now with the Black Lives Matter. He goes, listen, when a woman, in particular. And he, he, I knew what he meant. He says, when a white woman tells you, even if it's a joke, tells you don't do it, even like, you, obviously you guys were friends. So there was nothing like of like a bad nature coming from it. Don't do it. He was just like, don't do it. Don't be, and he was like, don't find yourself in a situation like that. And that is one thing, interestingly enough, no other, I'm trying to think, no other man, like, like I don't, my dad has never had that conversation with me, but like, he and it's so interesting like where you get nuggets of wisdom about being a man and that's something i'm i inform myself on you know what i mean and like i just deep it i was like never like and so now i became and i've become super aware of my my skin and my masculinity being criminalized and yeah so i think like being a black man and it's interesting like um another thing like i think it's like my mom I, I think it's just this was just a general concept a construct but i think it's very prevalent as a black man my mom has always told me never hold a woman's purse um and so the only purse i ever held i have ever like no in particular she wasn't about holding a purse that's fine to hold but it's more like going into the purse that was a problem like when she says purse she means bag handbag or of any kind that is owned by a woman and it's clearly the woman's bag and so even to this day to my friends who i'm like they know me i'm not gonna teeth them i'm not gonna do nothing to them right i will i'll be like what do you need they'll be like oh can you get me that i'm like where is it you, my handbag i'll be like i can give you a bag and you can hand it like someone's driving and i will not go through their bag like it will take it like it would take more like you better pull over the car on the hard shoulder because i'm not grabbing anything from your bag ever 
And I think it was one aspect of it, like you never want to, you ne- as a man in general, or as a person in general, you never want to put yourself in a place where your integrity is questioned. That's A. But as a black man, the integrity is already compromised on account of society seeing you in a different lens. And so I'm glad my mom taught me that lesson because although it's trivial, honestly, at my big age of 22, I think I may be like outside of my mom when she says, go get it from my bag. And she knows what's the context of her bag. So even if I teeth her, which I don't, and I wouldn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she would know. But I, at my 22 years of age, I think she, she told me this well before I was 10, I think. I have not, like, I do not do it. I do not do it. Even to my closest of friends. Even to my, I'll give you the handbag yourself. You can go through it yourself. Um, and I think it's just because of the criminalization of black men. Um, I didn't realize my mom was helping me. Um, stop myself from my integrity being tested at any point when it didn't need to be. And that's what that young uh, teacher assistant was helping me. He was like, don't let your integrity be questioned unnecessarily. As a black man, you have a default. And so it's interesting. And yeah, it's an interesting space to be in as a black man um, and masculinity and cultivating masculinity in this space in white, white Britain. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so interesting because as we've gone through this, it's very much like you had your masculinity questioned, but then it was like, I'm man enough. I'm too much of like, it's like, I'm not man enough, but I'm too much of a black man. Yeah. I'm not man enough to be perceived as the kind of like the ideal man, Mm. but Mm. I'm too much of a black man simply because I have black skin and I don't want to be criminalized. I don't want to be seen in a compromised position with somebody who I actually know and even just bringing about like what you said with your friend like Mm -hmm. as soon as you said that you were dragging her around but I was like I know it's a tender so I know it's not Mm. anything bad but in my head I was thinking Emmett Till and all these different people like so many black men have been just a white woman even just even just one one tear her thought just yeah, a thought, yeah. even the new the New York Park one, and yeah. I'm like, just a thought, and even here, like there was, there was a young black boy who was actually playing with like I think it was a toy gun mm. or something. He was just playing with something that was just like in his own house. He was just playing with a an object in his own house, mm. and somebody looked in through the windows. A white person could looked wow. in through the windows saw what he was doing and called the police and the police rushed in to their house and like pinned this boy to the floor and was like what are you doing where's the gun where's the drugs and his mom is like what the heck is happening here and he was a young I think he was like 12 or 10 and where do we have our childhood because I don't even think it's just black men I think it's black women as well like our childhoods are taken away because people just see our blackness like they are just blinded by the blackness blinded by racism and that's all they act on Mm. and I think it's just so sad but I wanted to ask again about kind of like the suppression of emotions because I feel like as black people in this country we do have to suppress how we feel violence is not an indicator of power for for us it is an indicator of you are black you're Mm. a stereotype and Mm. it just feeds into you know, pseudoscience and a lot of the things that they try to accomplish through slavery and colonialism. And I think recently I've learned this year, like the power of anger as black people that we need to feel angry, especially with what has happened to George Floyd and countless others in this country, 
in America, in Brazil, around the world, just like in general of how we are treated because of our blackness is like, we deserve to feel angry. But in the way that society is racist, our anger, justified anger is seen as violence and and aggression. So how do you as a black man or how do black men, how are they supposed to even channel anger? In safe spaces. And that's it. That's all I have to say. Um, because I think I, if I'm being very honest, I think I have, I have like this content, like it's a very contentious thing with anger and relate like, because I think like my childhood is like, I, I, okay, I'll put it plainly. I was informed of how to handle my emotions from, uh, women. And so, um, in particular, if I'm going to be frankly honest, um, oh, I'm just going to be blunt. Growing up in a traditional African household, sometimes um, the African man will assert their dominance, not necessarily through violence, but just through like the culture and everything. Um, and, and women, depending on like the woman, like they could be all part of like the uh, normal, uh, like normal traditional construct, and that's fine. But sometimes I find that um, women, uh, a lot of African women, are submissive towards that and because that's how I wanted I, I I rejected the the masculine so I was informed by the passive so I was very pa- I'm very passive with the way my emotion how I externalize my emotions um and so it would take a lot for me and a long period of time for me to show any kind of emotion um in general and so as a black man showing emotion in general um it takes I I'm I would say I'm not I wouldn't say I'm slow to anger but I suppress my anger but it will take what it will take just the small you just have to be like, oh, if you are the unfortunate lucky unfortunate person that happens to have that trigger word that just sets me off um I don't I'm not a violent angry person that's not who I am that's not how I was informed to behave um but I think that's genuinely because my upbringing um having so many women around me compared to my brother who um would react angrily in a far, in a far, far more, I would say, violent, uh, violent way compared to me, um, and I think that's just the way we were just raised differently. And I think as black men, it's hard to truly portray the frustration of systemic racism. The frustrate you, you, you just have. It's like people are crying about being politically correct. Imagine having to do that every single day, <laughs> being politically correct every single day with your emotions. And so sometimes, and in particular, um, like when you see like injustices being carried out in the workplace, um, it, it's it's very hard, um, but especially because I'm a very passionate speaker, um, and I will and like if you if like I'm very passionate in general about things I really love and I'm really like like all for, and so I just imagine it on a scale of like anger and just frustration um like the words cut and so I think like for me I just I I I think I'm different in the sense that I don't operate or like I guess manifest my anger physically outwardly but my like you will hear it like if I I'll verbalize it um but that will take a while so I think my experience and my journey is different uh but I think honestly um for men for black people for black men vocalizing our frustrations in a safe environment um not only for us but for other people is very important and so we need to as black men 
and as black people and as men we need to we need to find that it's our onus it's our job and our like unfortunately it has to be on our backs because it's our backs that are going to be going to prison if we don't do it you know what i mean finding spaces where we can be fully black fully man fully as a black man in a safe environment where other people can like add to your, their experiences to your experience and help you grow from it and for also like not to stay in the anger and i think that's just like more informed on my like faith just like it's okay to be angry it's a normal thing it's a good thing you're showing emotion but to stay in the anger and let that manifest into something ugly and evil and destructive that is when it's dangerous um so yeah i think it's so frustrating because i think as a black man when the whole like the may madness of when george floyd uh, george floyd george floyd's tragic like murder i was going to say passing i was about to say passing it was a murder cold blooded murder um and the way the church reacted at, at large um i remember having a conversation with a church leader and i remember like because i was like people are angry you need to know and i remember speaking to them and i was like people are angry and i was on the phone and i was i got to the point where i was so angry i just like i got overwhelmed i i think i started like tearing up because of how angry i was but also like that church leader also got teary and emotional and it 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 was like those that kind of moment is like that was safe does that make sense it was in those kind of conversations where it's safe where i'm tr- i'm angry and i want to create change so and i need the church to hear this you know what i mean and so i informed them but like I couldn't help but get my emotions and like all man of decorum of who I am as a person and being respectful to um hierarchical whatever whatever went out the window and I was like how dare you you know what I mean and that was just it was just it came out of me and it was just before I'm anything I am a child of god but also a child of god happens this child of god happens to be black and there's some things I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life and my descendants on account of my descendants on kind of my black skin I'm going to deal with I need to help I need to do something um so yeah it's one of those I think channeling my anger into productivity I think that was something that was really helpful for me to be able to vocalize that just as I'm slowly as we're slowly drawing a close to these questions I was just going to ask because obviously we have you know we have black girl magic and we have black boy joy so what does black boy joy mean to you black boy joy oh man it makes me so happy to even say those words i think it's interesting i'm a word person and as are you you know creative writing and all that um and so <laughs> and so for me um i like to look at the meaning and the etymology of a lot of words um and when i think about like the way contextually how we use the word boy it's usually uh, referring to a younger man or a younger um human of the gen of the of the male gender if i'm going to make it like plainly like that um and that to me that before he, that boy is a black white asian da, 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 hispanic um he's a boy he's a child i think of innocence and so when i think of black boy joy i think of men young men old men experiencing innocence being portrayed in innocent ways that bring joy to the world but also to themselves um and i think for me healing has been the becoming of my innocence um from a lot of like 
childhood trauma, but also like the stuff I've talked about, like, like I'm able to do a soundbite, but honestly, like I was talking about little clips, but that was my life for the better half of like 10 years, you know what I mean? And from 10 years of like being constantly sad and depressed and constantly questioning myself and my identity um, to finally being free, like I'm, in, I'm experiencing black boy joy through healing and a lot of stigma around like men not being able to um, externalize their feelings. The fact that I've been able in this year um, to go see a counselor, to work through all my, all my, all my trauma as a black man, as a man, as a, as a, as an African descendant, as a second generation immigrant, as a, as a lot of things, you know what I mean? As a lover, as a brother, as a son, as, you know what I mean? As a, as a man of God, there's so many things that I am undoing and healing. And I think the, the, I think the pinnacle for me for Black Boy Joy is the healing process, the, unbecoming the growth into innocence i feel like a lot of people like say they grow out of the innocence i'm trying to grow back into that innocence oh i love that oh that was so beautiful i actually love that so just kind of like finishing up here at miseducate we acknowledge that we have been taught and misinformed about things and we can't go back when this is not about regret this is about how you re-educate yourself so because you can't go back to the tender in year 10 and tell him hey you don't need to do this and that and yeah. all this stuff like what are you now doing to re-educate yourself because the year 10 tender is still here he's still mm-hmm. here you've evolved but he's not gone mm-hmm. so how are you re-educating yourself i think a massive thing and also i just want to put a disclaimer at the end of it i should have disclaimed it at the beginning really but a disclaimer now i just want to put a little tagline my dad is a good person but I'm just going to say, because I think like what I was about to jump off was like, oh, actually, I have a point. And my point is, um, he's a lovely human being. Um, but I think my thing is like, I look at the men around me a lot. Um, and I look at the traits and I interrogate. And I think what's powerful about it is like, I'm using the skills that I've always, that I've learned over the years. I'm a very nosy person. I like to know things like if I don't know something, even if it's useless, I want to know the useless information about your life. Does that make sense? And so with my training as a journalist and being able to know the story and be like stories being so important to me in general and storytelling as an art form, whatever it looks like being so important to me, um, I educate myself through that. The stories that have been told, whether they were like old wives tales, whether it's films, whether it's actual like factual things, how photographs were taken back in the day, all those things that inform like the media, like the art form of storytelling, I like to engross by also, I love to question and challenge that. Um, and I think I challenge that with the stories of the lives I'm seeing now, my dad, my uncles, um, inform, like I want to be informed on how to be a better man for not only myself, but for the person I'm gonna marry, the woman I'm gonna marry and the children I'm gonna have. So I think A is looking at the people and the men that are around me and what I've seen. And also in listening to women and hear, like in particular listening to women. And I think that's where my uh, looking and assessing at men, men comes from. Looking at women and hearing the plights of women about the comments and their, their frustrations towards men. Just as we are wrapping up, I would like to do a little round. I like to call quick miseducated questions. Oh crap. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. All right, ready. 
Okay, so the first thing that comes to your head, all right? Don't think about it too much. All right, all right, all right. Now I've got that Sanford song in my head. Don't think about it too, too much. Too much, Don't get yourself too much. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I only started thinking about that song because the first question is, if this podcast episode was a song, what would it be? <laughs> you know what? I was thinking of something with a man. And the first thing, because I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I love disco music. I love the 70s. I was like, it's raining men. <laughs> that was the first song that came in my head. So I'm not trying to think about it. And I was like, oh, don't think about it too much. So I was like, oh, raining men. It's raining men. <laughs> I Something people don't talk about, but should. Sexual health with men. Unpopular opinion. Women are far better and more, far more superior than men. And last question. Fake news that you wish was real. You know the little pop-ups that say, you've won a million pounds. Yeah, I want that to be me. <laughs> you've won a million pounds. You know the little clickbait things? Yeah, those little links. Yeah, I want that to be me. Thank you so much to Tender for coming on. Thank you for everything that you've talked about. Thank you just for being vulnerable and open with everything that you've said. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. you. Thank you so much. Honestly, I feel like every time I speak, I'm going through therapy. I'm like, this is free therapy. I'll be be on the show. I'm going to come. Let me. Tell me what you need to me to talk about. I'll come and talk about it. Even if I don't know nothing about it. I'll do my research. Once you research and you come up with it. Yeah, no, thank you for providing me a space to be open and uh, vulnerable to talk because it's it's a two-way street. Like, no one is just vulnerable and open about their lives like that um, without setting, like, a platform and a precedent for that. So thank you for allowing me to be here, but also for setting this out for people. Uh, and I hope, like, people are, like, like it really enriches people's lives. And I believe that it's going to really touch a few people's hearts um, and hopefully make people think not just my episodes but the episodes to come as well yeah. not just me but you know the other people too yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the other people <laughs> the mere mortals but yeah. yeah thank you so much to Denda what did you guys think it was really good wasn't it fun fact we actually did that interview twice not once but twice um so yeah thank you so much to Tender for being a part of the podcast and not just doing one episode but doing two episodes but yeah just in a way to like summarize a lot of the things that he went into depth about he really made you think yeah he really made me deep a lot of different things in a new perspective in a new way um I think there was a definite emphasis on the importance of understanding your own identity through your own terms and I thought what Tatenda said about joy and healing was so beautiful. Just the idea of correlating between them. So beautiful. And so after listening to that episode, what does masculinity or femininity mean to you? How are you defining or redefining your notions of your own gender identity? let me know by following me on social media. The handle, you should know this by now, is miseducate, miss.educate on Instagram. And also let me know what you want to hear about next, what next topics you want to hear about. Also, don't forget to catch up on blog posts at miseducateblog.com and add your email to the subscription list so you don't miss out on new posts. Check out the description for resources referenced in this episode and continue to watch, read, listen, educate, and then re-educate yourselves. 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Detender for being on this episode. And make sure to rate, review, and share this podcast with a friend. And tune in next time for another discussion on the Miss Educate Podcast. The A Miss Educate Podcast. The Why did I stop? <laughs> the Miss Educate Podcast. All right. Bye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.